This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 58 of Retired Racehorse Radio on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products and Cashel Company. Retired Racehorse Radio is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse, and it's brought to you in cooperation with the Retired Racehorse Project and New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program. Today, we are honored to talk to Jan Vokes. Yes, the Jan Vokes, the breeder and part owner of the famous racehorse Dream Alliance on how her dream of breeding a racehorse became more than she could ever imagine it would be. We chat with April Keaton about how she and her friend founded Final Furlong to help Canadian racehorses find forever homes. And Leandra Cooper from New Vocations brings us another training tip in our Adoptable Horse of the Week. This week's listener shout out goes to Lisa Barker at Restoring Shanty. If you'd like to be our listener of the week, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Now back to the show. And they're off on Retired Racehorse Radio, the podcast that is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse. This is Jamie Jennings, and I'm currently in Norman, Oklahoma. And this is Joy Orr in Detroit, Michigan, and you're listening to Retired Racehorse Radio. Woo whoop! Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. We, spoiler alert, we actually talked to Jan Vokes a couple of days ago because it's a lot of scheduling to mm-hmm. get somebody who's in Wales to uh, on the horn. And it was, oh my gosh, you guys are going to love this. Absolutely. Not just in Wales, too. She's got a movie coming out about her horse. Like, seriously, that is horse girl goals. She's exactly a movie about Well, they did Dark Horse, which was a documentary. And now they've made the dream. What is it called? Dream Horse is the new one. So we're going to talk to her about that. Plus, I think I have a problem, Joy. I'm kind of in love with a new off the track thoroughbred. Tell me more about your addiction and how I can enable it. <laughs> so I train horses for this place, Horse and Hound Rescue Foundation in Guthrie, and I bring them in and I train them and we adopt them out. And one came in that is really sweet. His name is Why Not Oki. There's a lot of Oki horses you've been showing. I'm like, yeah. I have one on my Christmas list. Yeah, the Oki horses are usually pretty awesome, and this one was no different, but I did get on him and ride him, and I just realized this is not a kid's horse. A lot of them we get adopted out are for younger people or more green people, and I'm like, this horse is much more forward at the canter, and I thought maybe he just needs a professional to bring him along, and then I thought, you know what? I could be that professional to bring along. So currently I am fostering him and spending time with him. And there is a spot in my barn, but the last one where I had the the horse come up with massive kissing spine, I'm a little gun shy. You can x-ray everything in the world, but you won't get a good picture unless you're sitting on him and, and feeling what you're feeling on him. So, so far, I really like him. I call him Peter. I call him either Peter Parker or Peter Pan. I don't know. He's just Peter. Uh, he's a big red horse with just as plain red as you could be with just a tiny little you know star. I love a chestnut, so. I know you Full do. Full support of it. Full support I of mean, it. So your mare has, a, I think, a stripe or a blaze or something. She's got the tiniest little snip on her nose, just real tiny and two little barely socks. Like it's just in that borderline between being a slipper and a sock on the back. So she's almost plain, but you know what? I I love it at the end of the day. They're super fun horses and they have a lot of spunk. 
I, I just don't think that I just love sitting on a horse and looking down at a redneck. I don't know mm-hmm. why I just or the big red head on a horse. I just really like it. So that and I've also got another horse in training. This is really unique. Most of the time people send me horses that either have problems or they're unstarted. Well, this is a yearling thoroughbred filly and they don't know if they're going to race her or they're going to turn her into a hunter jumper or something. So for the first time I got a yearling into train and it's like doing all the baby things. It's so fun. Aww. I forgot what baby horses are. So I'm really enjoying that as well. That's so exciting. And it's cool with the twist of she may go be a racehorse. So I'm trying to show her all the things and make sure she's going to be really good for it. So any suggestions of things that I definitely should teach this little filly to do? I've ponied her and we've done some join ups and she's all that. But I'm I'm not going to get on her, obviously. She's too little. Well, I feel like you're going to give her a great foundation and actually a great segue into that, too. Speaking of potential racehorses, if you guys don't remember Kyle Rolfus, my friend, and he's been on our show a couple times, his filly just won the maiden race. So kind of perfect with talking to Jan as well about her dream horse. Kyle's dream horse won her very first race on Tuesday. And we're just so excited. He's put a lot of time and effort. He's been dreaming of this horse for many years. <laughs> I believe Kyle is somebody who's been on our show a lot. And he was in the makeover and then he bred his makeover mare, right? Yes. And bred then, his makeover horse. And he, then the baby came and Lady Diana Former is her name, mm-hmm. right? And so what happened? What was the race? Give me the deets. So she ran a three-quarter race and it was a one in Ohio, Belterra. Uh, track and no one really had like high hopes. She's she's a pretty big mare and she's kind of built for longer distance. So it was kind of just to give her exposure, let her see it. They weren't going to push her too hard. So she just went out and took everything in stride. She had compliments for being a really lovely lady. She's a little bit nervous in the starting gate. She didn't want to go in at first, but overcame it and just ran a really lovely race and won by a couple horse lengths. She really left her competitors. She's, in the- you want to see me take it easy? Boom. Mike drop. I know. Make it happen. That's so, so she's exciting. got a, a bigger race in July. So we're wishing Kyle and Lady Diana Former the best of luck. I love that name, Lady Diana Former. He's obviously Dinah Former in the bloodline there somewhere. And then I love the connection to the Royals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. I'm super excited to follow them in the future as well. And this same story with this little yearling filly, if she goes to race, mm-hmm. I'll keep you guys all posted. I don't even think she's registered yet for her race Ooh, name. Maybe we so. should do a contest for that. Ooh, that'd be, that'd be fun. fun. It's not my horse, but you know, we could. Um, <laughs> well, hey, before we get to our first guest, Jan Vogue, that's right. We're not going to make you guys wait. We're going to drop it in a second but first let's take a listen to kentucky performance products this nutrition minute is brought to you by kentucky performance products the company that simplifies your search for research proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com the horse that matters to you matters to kentucky performance products Managing horses can be challenging. Each horse's personality affects the way he behaves and reacts to the world around him. Horses with certain dispositions can be at higher risk for developing health problems than others. High-strung or excitable horses are easily stressed, but so is the timid, quiet warrior. Stressed horses are more likely to develop digestive upsets that lead to colic, diarrhea, and ulcers. Nalox Advanced was specifically developed to support a digestive tract that is under stress. It sustains proper pH 
pH levels, reducing the incidence of ulcers and hindgut imbalances, while simultaneously supporting the healing of damaged tissues. Nalox Advanced supports the complete digestion of starches and sugars and sustains populations of beneficial bacteria. Make life a little easier on your sensitive horse and start him on Nalox Advanced today. To learn more about the ingredients in Nalox Advanced, visit Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. I'm absolutely so pleased and honored to have Jan on with us. Jan is the owner of Dream Alliance and Dream Horses, the movie that you guys can go see right now. It's everywhere and it is so wonderful. Jan, folks, thank you so much for joining us. That's fine. It's my pleasure. I mean, where do we begin? What a lifetime you've led in just a few short years going from where you started to where you where you ended up. So much of the movie affected me. And I also got to see Dark Horse, which was the documentary that was done about you. And so much of what you said in that movie really affected me, but not just for horses. I think my quote the favorite quote I had from you was when you said, yeah, hard work. When I look back, I don't know how I did it, but what you do when you do, when you want something bad enough and you will tell us a little bit about how you kind of approached the whole idea of breeding a racehorse. Well, I'd bred and shown dogs and done really well. I won a national with racing pigeons, so I couldn't see any difference in breeding a horse than breeding a, a racing pigeon. I did it exactly the same way. So tell everybody a little bit about yourself as far as where you are, where you live, and your background. My father was a coal miner. I live in the Welsh Valleys. I met my husband, Brian, 53 years ago. We've been married 50 years this year. I've got two children, one grandchild. And I still work seven days a week between two jobs to be able to keep the horses. And we just live ordinary lives. We just love the horses. It's our hobby. It's what we do. And we enjoy it. So you say that, you, first of all, happy anniversary, 50 years, quite the milestone. <laughs> Thank you. You, know, you said this is not much different than breeding pigeons, but I feel like it's a little bit different, a little bigger, a little more expensive, a little more stressful. But you decided to, I'm not going to do this on my own. I'm going to get the whole town involved. How did you get everybody to jump on board with this? Well, it's a very expensive sport. We could breed the horse because we've always had horses. My husband had his first horse when he was 15. So we've had horses close to 60 years. We could breed the foal. That wasn't a problem. The problem was the expense of being able to race it. So we needed a syndicate. So when I was working in a local working men's club, Howard was a customer there and I heard him talking and he had apparently had a syndicate before. So I roped Howard in to run a syndicate for £10 a week. I mean, that's nothing, is it? Is it just a few pints a week? So. <laughs> We man- a lot of them joined, I think, just for the fun. They thought they were going to have a horse where they could the boys together out at a local track on a weekend having a few bevies. But the horse te- turned out to be something a little bit better than that. When it, one of them told me that I'd ruined it for him because I, I bred a horse that was too good. <laughs> so, <laughs> 
And you had done so much research when you found your mare, you found the stallion you wanted. The movie portrays all the research you did trying to find the right fit, the right trainer. But all of this has to happen with a foal on the ground. And then you saw him. What were your thoughts? Oh, when I saw him, I didn't want to part with him. I really didn't want the syndicate to have him, but I couldn't go back on my word. I'd given my word they could have it for the price of the stud fee, and I was going to be a part of the syndicate anyway. It never entered my head that he wouldn't come back home to me at the end. I Mm -hmm. always, through a gentleman's agreement, I always thought he would come back home to me. Had I known he wouldn't be coming home, they wouldn't have had him as a foal. So there'd have been no documentary and there'd have been no film, but it is what it is. So so with his story of a lifetime, you breed this horse, you send it to the trainer. It goes on to, I mean, ups and downs. I used to gallop racehorses and I also own thoroughbreds and I love racehorses, but... The races over here in the United States are two minutes. Your horse, you had to watch go over jumps over three miles. How on earth? Did you close your eyes? Did you just not look? I never watched him race at all. The only time I watched him race was when he won the Welsh National. I watched him from four fences out. I couldn't watch. I used to put my head down and just box walk back and forth and keep asking Brian, where is he? Where is he? Because I was always afraid that he would fall. There's a part in, I believe it was the documentary, where when Dream first makes his way out, there was a female announcer who said something about, that's not even a thoroughbred. Did you ever find her and kick her in the shin? (laughs) No, it was on the television. They were um, talking about the different horses in the race, and she had said that he wasn't a thoroughbred, probably because the mayor was of no significance. She'd never... Well, in fact, the mayor's job, she thought, was to kill the jockey. It was her job to chuck the jockey off. So I think probably looking at that, she thought he wouldn't be of any consequence. But had I seen her, she would have she'd have had a poke in the eye. I love it. I love it. So they've decided to do a Hollywood movie about your life and your story. And then they cast to me, one of the most phenomenal actresses out there, Tony Collette. Tell us how you felt about Tony Collette play, portraying you. She was excellent. When, when they told me who was actually playing me, I thought, Australian, no way. She'll never get the accent because they have a strong accent, the same as the Welsh. And I thought, no, but she did. She did really well. And it was surprising when we went on set at the race course and we were up on the balcony looking down and she came across to come up to meet us. Well, it was like looking in the mirror. She she did really well. You hadn't spent that much time with her before shooting started? No, didn't meet them at all. I think they watched the documentary and they obviously they'd read different things, you know, about us. But no, we didn't meet them until um, they'd started filming. That's incredible because I felt like every, to see the movie and to see the documentary, she captured every look that you possibly give you. She's so amazingly uh, transparent through like her, just her, the way that she moves her face and all that. And it just, like you said, looked like you were looking in the mirror. 
Yeah, she was really good. And the way she was with the horse in the film is exactly, it brought back all the memories of how I felt when I used to go and visit him, when we went to the races. It brought it all back because she did it so well. Really amazing. How did your husband feel about all of this? So was he just along for the ride or did he think you were a star or did he think you were crazy? <laughs> well, a bit of both. In the beginning, when I first asked him to buy a thoroughbred mare for me and I told him why, he thought I was totally bonkers. So I left it for a while. I didn't say no more because I knew he would come around. I had to make him think it was his idea. So he eventually came around to it and, and he found the mare and he bought her. You have to do these things. Don't you? You've got to plant the seed and let them grow it. You are so right. That's how you have to do everything with husbands. I believe you should start life coaching some women if they want some more horses because you definitely have it right. You got to make it their idea. And then yeah. all of a sudden it's it's awesome. So yeah. looking back at this whole journey, I, I'm trying not to give very specific details on all of the races and all the things because I really want people to go watch this. I was moved to tears during the movie and the documentary but during the movie, so many times, but this happy cries and just emotional explosions that I would have. So looking back at this whole thing, what are you most proud of? That's a difficult one, really. But I think the fact that we actually achieved something that people said we couldn't. We not only got a horse onto a race course, we won when all the odds were against us. Yeah, I was really proud of that. If you could change anything, would you? I think if I could change anything, rather than have sold him to the syndicate, I would have given him on a free lease so that the horse would still have belonged to me, but they would have owned him for the whole of his racing career. But that's the only thing I would have done different. So when he finished and retired, where I, I, I was under the impression that he went back to you, but he did not? No, we wanted, to, we wanted him back, but 20-odd in the syndicate, and there were some that, that felt he needed to go somewhere where he was going to be worked and ridden and given another career, like show jump in. So they voted for him to go somewhere else. So I chose his home. I asked the young girl that looked after him with Philip Hobbs if she would like to have him. And she has him now on permanent loan. Wow. Wow. So he's doing well and he's happy. And has he moved on to a second career? No, he's. she did a little bit with him, but he was too forward going for, for show jumping. He just, she couldn't get a racing uh, mentality out of him. So she gave up on that one. He's just a pet now. They just hack him out. Uh, see, that's what we do here on the show is we, we talk about taking thoroughbreds and giving them a second career and a second chance. And yeah, so I mean, you had a monster of a racehorse, so it would be something that would be a very big challenge to retrain, but I'm glad he's happy. Now, at the beginning of this interview, you mentioned horses. Tell us a little bit about what you've done now. We've got... A beautiful mare. We've, we've had a few disasters because we bred a foal. I bought a new mare when Rubel died. I bought a new mare that is really well bred. We took her to, the, to a stallion, Schiparelli, and had a cold foal. When the foal was six months old, I loaned the mare to the syndicate 
to have a bit of fun with her. She raced, she won for them, she did well. And then on her last race, she fractured a cannonball. Mm. So we had to have it plated and screwed. She came home and then we had an arson attack on our stables. So the three-year-old colt, which we'd had at that time, was lost in the fire and she was badly burned. But she went to our vet, fabulous vet. He had her for three and a half months. And if you saw her now, you'd never believe she was in the fire. And she went on then to have a, a filly foal, a full sister to the one that died. So she's two year old now. So she's in the wings. And we also bought a thoroughbred filly. She was two when we bought her. She's four year old now and she's gone to be pre-trained. So she's away at the moment. And once they've got a three quarters fit, she will go on to Philip Hobbs and fingers crossed. We'll have a bit of fun with her until Fian Extreme is old enough to, to race. What is the name of the, the almost for the four-year-old? A Little Faith. A Little Faith. Oh, I love it. I'm, first of all, I didn't know about the arson attack. That is awful. I'm so sorry. Yeah. The, oh, horses are definitely full of ups and downs. And they, they take yeah. you on journeys for sure. What do you hope with the movie and with the documentary, what do you hope your story says to others? That if you have a dream, you have to follow it. It doesn't matter if things don't work out the first time. It's not a failure. It's a lesson learned. Try again. You only fail if you give up. So I mm-hmm. hope that anybody out there, no matter what their dream is, especially after the year that we have had, they follow it. I love the quote that you said, which after he got hurt, And the decision was being made to send him to surgery or to put him down. And you said, I think it's the innocence. He doesn't ask for anything. And because he doesn't ask for anything, he's giving everything. And that's the part that draws you into him. And you also said it was going to cost a lot of money. And Dream Alliance won a lot of money. And in my opinion, it was his money. Yeah. (laughs) How did, how was that met with the syndicate? Well, I've got to be honest, he had 23 owners and no matter what differences they were, because obviously 23, they would have all have a different opinion where he should race and where he should be. But every single one of them loved the horse and every single one of them said, even if he couldn't race again, he needed to have a quality of life. And they all voted for the surgery. Yeah. Amazing. Last question. They say a a great horse knows where the finish line is and watching some of dreams races. I feel like he knew where that finish line was. Do you think he did? You think he knew what he was doing? I think so. Yes. He had his off races, but we obviously we discovered at the end what it was. He was bursting blood vessels. I mean, Mm -hmm. we didn't know at the time, but yes, I think he knew. I think he knew. Uh, Well, Jan, it has just been an absolute pleasure and honor to talk to you. You're so inspiring. And I love the fact that you're sharing your journey with others to encourage them to to take their journeys. Like you said, like you only fail when you give up or when you don't even try. So thank you so much. If people want to follow along with the races that you guys have, do you have a, a social media component to your racing stable? Once they start racing, we will on Facebook. We'll open a we'll open a, uh, an account on Facebook. We did it with Dream, and we'll do it again once once they start racing. It'll be on Facebook. 
Yeah. All right. Well, Janet folks, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so very much. And Joy, thank you so much for getting all of this organized and all in too. We really appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. Casual Company's Crusader line has everything you and your horse need to stay fly free and comfortable this summer. Available in fly masks, fly sheets, fly boots. They have everything fly. Casual Company's Crusader line comes in an array of styles and sizes that offer an amazing alternative to chemical based fly sprays that are expensive and they don't last that long. So don't forget to check out Cashel's Quiet Ride line as well to enjoy those long summer hacks and not worry about flies ruining your ride joy oh my gosh you hit into the woods and then the, the deer flies swarm you get the it's quiet ride the worst. it's <laughs> uh treat you and your horse to some fly free comfort and check out casual company's crusader and quiet ride products today at any of their nationwide authorized dealers or visit casualcompany.com that's casualcompany.com seriously why would you buy any other brand fly mask i mean i don't know casual company well, I'm excited to bring on our next guest, April Kedian from Final Furlong Canada, who's got a kind of interesting way to rehome horses that we don't normally talk about on the show. But welcome to the show, April. Thank you very much. I'm so pleased to be here. We're excited to have you. So before we kind of talk about Final Furlong, let's talk a little bit about you. Where are you located? How'd you find your love of racing? I feel like there's so much we can talk about in the horse world. <laughs> I think there is. I think we could talk for a long time about horses with any other horse people. So I just seem to be one of those people that was born liking horses. I don't come from a particularly horsey family, animal friendly, but not particularly horsey. So I got to the barn as soon as I could and always loved watching the horse racing. I mean, wanted to be a jockey, never made it, unfortunately, but, you know, gave up that dream fairly older in life. And then when I did start riding, a lot of the horses we were riding were thoroughbreds. My coaches were very good about sourcing thoroughbreds off the track and finding a lot of appropriate horses. Of course, the cost is so low for these great horses. And I was able to benefit from some really nice thoroughbreds. I invented, I've more recently done Hunter Jumper, and most of my horses were thoroughbred. So it just was always there. And I've just always admired the thoroughbred horse, both as a racehorse and then as a leisure and sport horse as well. Oh, I love it. You fit right into the club here at Retired Racers Radio. That's exactly <laughs> what we preach all the time. So tell us a little bit about Final Furlong. Like, it's such a unique way to adopt horses that isn't the normal adoption aftercare. Yes, we don't seem to follow the mold of any other organization that I've heard of yet. We were inspired, of course, by the Cantor listings. We're in our 11th year, so back then, Cantor was, in, to me anyways, the most well-known organization doing anything with thoroughbreds off the track. So there was nothing happening at our local track. So my friend Emily Johnson and I, we just thought, well, no one's doing anything. We can see what we can do. and we can just see how much we could help. There were, back then, there were times when the horses weren't ending up in great. They didn't get homes, all of them, back then. Mm -hmm. And the problem wasn't that there wasn't people wanting the horses. There just wasn't a conduit for these people to look at the horses and find the horses. There was no way to get on the track unless you knew somebody. So utilizing the power of the internet and building off learning from Cantor and their great success, we just started something similar. And I think because we're small, we've been able to morph into 
the organization we are today. When we first started, we were just two people, didn't know what we were doing, liked horses, thought we could maybe help a bit. And all we did was list horses. That was it. We didn't get involved with the, and we still don't get involved with the buying process. We don't have our own farm. If anyone wants to wheel us one, that would be greatly appreciated. <laughs> but um, so all we did was the listings. And then we got a little more popular. Um, we got a lot of support from people and there ended, there was a horse in a bad uh, spot and we ended up purchasing our very first horse. That's not something we ever thought we would be able to do, get into the rescue work. But the horse needed a home, and we didn't have any kind of a budget at that time. It was pretty much a leap of faith. We purchased this horse. She was quite emaciated. Her name was Bird Sound. And people just stepped forward with donations. It was amazing. Every time we've had any kind of an ask, the general public, the race community, people just step up and help. It's been so amazing. And this horse went on to be a children's jumper in Alberta. So Aww. it was such a really, yeah, really nice story. And yeah, so in the only time Final Furlong Canada actually owns a horse, we only purchase them when they're in need of purchasing. We don't want to be buying horses if someone else is interested. We prefer they go to good homes, but we're there if we need to be. And because of our racetrack, our local racetrack is at Cinnaboy Downs. And because the Downs and the Manitoba Jockey Club and the HBPA at our track, they have been so supportive. They support us a big, in a big way financially now. Mm-hmm. So we just have this comfort level that we know if there's a horse in need, we can go in and get into action. We don't have to worry anymore about funding that, that type of purchase. That's fantastic. So like yeah, absolutely so fantastic growth to have and to, you know, just start with something small. You saw a need in the area. So you mostly list these horses, kind of like Canter USA does here. What's the process for someone if they, they have a horse on the track that's ready for its new home? How did they reach out to you and start that process? Well, you could reach out to us via our Facebook page, our website, or Instagram. Uh, but most of them just go to the HBPA office on the backstretch and let them know. So it's, we try to make it as easy as possible for trainers, and the new trainers, we try to reach out to them right away as well, so they're aware of us. And it, we have such great support for the race community. These people care about their horses, and they help us out, and they're so thankful for the work we do. So just a really good feel-good <laughs> feel good way to do business. Absolutely. And so do they pay you any listing fees or anything like that? Is that how you keep the business going or is it all donation based? Yeah, we're uh, purely donation based. We don't charge any fees. The bulk of our funding does come from the Cineboy Downs and the Manitoba Jockey Club, which we are so grateful for. And we are a board of four. So we're a registered nonprofit, not a charity, but a registered nonprofit. And our board of four is entirely volunteer driven. So, yeah, we don't ever charge a fee for our services. That makes it definitely easy for anyone to be involved and to help their horses find their next career. So, well, it's absolutely amazing that it's obvious that you guys put everything as the horse first. You've made the process easy for anyone who's ready to give their horses a second home. It's easy to list them. What are the end goals you're hoping for Final Furlong Canada? Are you hoping to someday have an aftercare farm? Is it just growing maybe the different racetracks you're working with? What's the plan? 
yeah, our goalpost keeps moving here as we get, you know, more and more successful and more and more well-known and supported. We are pretty small here in Winnipeg, Manitoba, but if anyone were to want to donate a farm, that would be great. We'd love to do a bit of retraining and rehab on our own, but we've been able to change our focus a little bit. We've gone from being focused merely on listing horses to being focused on being advocates for the thoroughbreds for the thoroughbred breed. So what we started to do is, unfortunately, we were COVID canceled, but we did have our first thoroughbred show. And it sold out in record time. So we know that when we are able to schedule our next show, we know that there's the public will or the want for that. And so we just are able to look at ways of offering awards. We've done Final Furlong's Favorite Thoroughbred Contest. We sell, as fundraisers, we sell masks with our logo. We're trying to get a, a few clinicians in that specialize in thoroughbreds. So just it's opening up so much for us. COVID has really curtailed our activities this year, which is really unfortunate. But we're looking into, we're hosting a series of awards, not only with our hunter-jumper group, which we've always done, but we're looking to go with every single horse discipline that has awards in Manitoba. We're looking towards next year for them to all host a, a thoroughbred award that we will sponsor. So we're oh. just trying to make it always more attractive to have a thoroughbred. You can do this if you have a thoroughbred. You can take advantage of this if you have a thoroughbred. And we always have a little more special if your horse has raced at a Cineboy Downs or if you your horse was purchased through our listing. So we really want to keep people coming back to the page, the website or the Facebook page all the time. Absolutely amazing, April. And you know what I always we're partnered with the Retired Racehorse Project for the show and we we go for the thoroughbred makeover and we talk to different contestants. And what we heard a lot of when we started this podcast is people in Canada wanting their own thoroughbred show, their own makeover that was a little bit more accessible and closer and it's there. So I think you're on the path to potentially making the Canadian thoroughbred makeover. That's really cool. Well, we're in talks right now with two other organizations to host a series of thoroughbred shows throughout Western Canada for next year. So hopefully we'll have that to offer. And actually, we did offer two stipends of $1,000. We're giving up to horses that raced or actually were purchased to our listings to attend last year's makeover. So unfortunately, they didn't get to go last year. I'm not Mm. sure if they're going this year. But yeah, we offered $1,000 to any horse um, that we listed to go to the makeover. Amazing. April, you have a heart of gold. Thank you so much for coming on our show today. I'm going to ask you one last question that I think could be really great for some of our listeners. If you could offer one single piece of advice for anyone who's looking to start an adoption program, whether like final furlong or like more traditional, like new vocations, what would you recommend to them? I would say make it as easy to access as possible for your, for your trainers, for your clients for your trainers at the racetrack, we go to them to take pictures and video. We try to go at the times when they're in the barn, but not as busy as they are normally. We try really hard to take good quality pictures. Video is always challenging. We're quite cramped where we are. So video is always challenging, but we do spend a lot of time and effort editing videos, taking the best pictures we can, trying to give them the best product that we can. So I think by offering them a good product, I mean, you're going to sell yourself. And then by making it as easy as possible 
you're going to get buy-in. You're going to get buy-in right away. I think there's just such an appetite out there. And these trainers love following up with their horses. We always try to feature, we regularly feature what our alumni are doing now. And the trainers get the biggest kick out of it. They love following our page. They love selling through us. But yeah, it's just really neat. We even had a, a trainer, there was a horse that ended up at an auction. No one was bidding on her, so or him, I'm sorry. We were able to contact his race owner, who hadn't owned him for, I think, a dozen years. And she stepped right up to the plate, asked us to buy him, sent us the money, no questions asked, and then donated him to a groom that had worked with him at the racetrack that always wanted him. Oh, so, my gosh. Oh. The the will is there. The, the track community will be so supportive. They're so thankful. They're so supportive. I'm doing the Real Rider Cup myself this year just to help raise more awareness. And um, it's been excellent. I brought my 22-year-old horse out of retirement. Oh. <laughs> and he's just showing the real thoroughbred spirit. He hasn't jumped with me for 17 years or so, so on. I didn't own him for all of his life. But, you know, just that thoroughbred heart comes out. He's 22. We're starting jumping again. He hasn't done it for years and years. He loves it. He's sound. He's athletic enough to do it. So these horses have so much value. And we all know. I'm, I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir here. <laughs> uh, we, love yeah, to hear it. Anything, we love to hear it. <laughs> yeah, we can, probably can't say it enough. But uh, anyways, getting back to your question, People are just going to be so thankful for any assistance you can give them. The horses sell themselves because they're such a great commodity. We get these excellent animals that they trailer, they know how to tie in the stall, they, they're good under tack. Lots have been ridden out in some form, maybe not trail ridden, but ridden around the farm. So, yeah, the the audience is out there. And I've I've got to say, when we started Final Furlong, it was difficult to get all the horses home. We had a big rush at the end of the meet of our race season. And I don't know if in those first two years, maybe, I don't know if we were successful in finding buyers for all of them. But in the last two or three years, supply does not meet demand. We mm-hmm. can't have, we can't list enough. So it's done a, it's done a complete 180. Amazing. So, uh, yeah, we've sold horses. Pretty much coast to coast, California even, which is quite a long ways. We're we're south southern Canada. We're close to the border. Assiniboy Downs is right along the Trans Canada. So if anyone's thinking of purchasing, shipping is easy. <laughs> we there's lots of shippers that go by the Trans Canada. We're only an hour and a half north of the American border. So we're not too far. We sell lots to North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, Chicago, Kansas one went last year. So yeah, so it's a global economy for our thoroughbreds now. So, you know, Amazing. we'd love to see them go to every corner of North America. Uh, same here, April. Same here. We're all on the same mission. And thank you so much for coming on the show today. Check out finalfurlongcanada.com. They're also on Facebook and Instagram. April, thank you for everything. And uh, we're going to be excited to follow you in the Ryder Cup. That'll be cool. We really appreciate that. And I have to say, this is my favorite podcast. Thank you so much for Aww. having me on. That's so sweet. Thank you. 
It's that time in the episode where we get to talk to Leandra Cooper from New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program. And we are going to talk about a beautiful, lovely mare called All Come True. But before that, I like to surprise Leandra with a training question. And usually I just bring it to mirror something that I'm doing with one of my horses that I'm probably screwing up and I want her opinion. So I decided to introduce one of the horses. I talked about him a little bit earlier, call him Peter, to over fences. And obviously we started with just a pole on the ground and went to a couple and then a cross rail, but his, his heart's not quite in it yet. He's only done it twice. What is the process that you guys use when you are wanting to, I mean, I'm assuming you guys do pop horses over fences. I've seen videos. So what are some of the processes that you use, Leandra? Well, it really depends on the horse. Of course, as we all know their experiences are very different, but I think what you're saying you're doing is kind of similar to what we do. So generally, we're going to introduce them to ground poles first. And for some horses, ground poles alone are quite the obstacle to tackle. (laughs) It's an insurmountable challenge. And eventually we get through it. And even with that, the approach, really, you're going to see the most change from repetition. So there's no shortcut for just exposure. And because some horses will think that even a ground pole is worth leaping over and then others don't think it's worth picking up their feet for and everywhere in between. So we do generally start them out with ground poles and just introducing them to that. We're really lucky to be able to set up a jump chute. So at times that can be beneficial if you have access to a jump chute to Mm -hmm. let them kind of figure it out. And in that way, you're not potentially sacrificing your own body over the jump as they figure it out. (laughs) With young horses, a lot of it, so there is both the mental side of going over the jump, which sounds like maybe the guy that you're dealing with has already gotten over the sort of mental part of going over a jump. And then the second part of that is the physical part. And depending on the horse's age and their disposition, the way that they approach new situations, they're just going to vary so much. So in a lot of cases, you're going to learn a lot about the way that a horse interacts with challenges. Going through all of that, if you haven't already, it can tell you a lot about the horse. So it's really educational for both the person and the horse. Because at the end of the day, you can set them up as best you can approaching that jump. And they're going to throw their body over it however they want to. And then with time, you can refine that. And that's going to come from basically setting them up as best you can before the jump and after the jump, making sure they're collected, all those sort of things. But those are further along in the process. At the beginning, you really kind of are just letting them figure it out. So Mm -hmm. like I said, there's both the mental side, which you can do by easing them into it, starting with things like ground poles, raise them so that they're little raised poles. And then just the concept of going over it will become easier. Every horse is going to be a little bit different. So they're going to just need a different approach. And then just the physical part of going over a jump, you can't pick up their legs for them. So they're just going to have to (laughs) figure out their style. And and that's happened a lot of different ways. You can set up really high cross rails and help them pick up their knees more because then the edges, of course, are higher. And so it looks bigger than it really is. There are a lot of different little things to help them in the refining process. But when they're starting, there really is kind of a, to some level, just allowing them to figure it out. Right, right. I like to think of when I tell people like 
when you're riding to the first couple the obstacles, be them poles or cross rails, your job is to keep the horse straight and forward. The horse's job is to do the rest and they might not do it right the first 10 times, but eventually, like you were saying with repetition, that's how they kind of sort it out. But your job is just to not mess them up. Exactly. And just trying to stay balanced. It's almost like you're trying to set them up as best you can and then stay out of their way and then kind of help them. It's like the before, the during, the after, because they're going to do what they do and you can't control every part of it. (laughs) Just going to try to stay with them and hold their hand when you can. But at the end of the day, they're going to have to just learn the time. And so you're just there to assist and to be a crash test dummy sometimes. Absolutely. (laughs) Hopefully less than more. Uh, Tell us a little bit about this mare named All Come True. Is when it has the, because it says All Come True, and then in parentheses it says FR. Does that mean she was born in France? That's correct. She actually has a lot of Irish lineage, but she was born in France. So she gets that little FR after her name to denote that. So she was born in France and then somehow made her way over to the United States and Kentucky. That's exactly it. She had her first race over across the pond, as they say, and then she came over. She only had four starts and actually earned herself a decent amount of money, just, just under $16,000. Her last race was actually just in March. And her reason for retirement is that she wasn't competitive, which is our favorite reason. (laughs) It means that there isn't any known limiting factor physically to stop her from having another potential higher level career. Mm -hmm. And so from a physical standpoint, she's a pretty clean slate. She had the exposure. Obviously, she's traveled. And so she has this really great mindset, very go with the flow. She acts like a horse who's older than she is. She's only four, but she just is very agreeable. We know that she learns really quickly. So every time you get on her, it feels like she remembers that she learned before, which is really such an incredible, yes, it's rare because sometimes you just feel like you're stuck in Groundhog Day in training. We all know that. (laughs) This is a horse who just is very agreeable and you feel like you can really build quickly because she remembers and she's willing. So I find really, that, and this may be my opinion only, but I find yeah. that horses that that when they remember the next day, you know, like you can get on the, oh yeah, I remember that from yesterday. What's next? I find that those mm-hmm. in my experience are the healthiest of the horses. Like you were saying, she has no physical limitations. So there's nothing that she's, oh, I have a sore back or like I have a hawk or something. Like those horses, they concentrate more on the other things, whereas this horse has mm-hmm. a clear mind to just move forward. She's a beautiful bay, a 16 hand, four year old mare. And uh, the problem is with new vocations, you guys just price gouge <laughs> with these sound horses. I mean, she's way up there at $2,500. Come on. She's amazing. That is an amazing price for such a beautiful, sound, healthy, confirmationally fantastic looking mare. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My favorite part about this too, is that the pictures when we were doing her photo shoot for her profile, this is a horse who loves to take naps and we caught her during her nap time. So she is basically asleep during all the photos. Not to be whatever. She kind of looks high. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she is really mellow. 
know, just yeah. enjoying life and she's there for it, but she's just kind of cruising. Yeah. She's, her she eyes are like half open. To wake up for it. Whatever. Mm-hmm. And, so. and this is still, I was like, this is her most attentive at the time. She just was <laughs> like, I'm here. I can pose, but I'm just. Yeah. She what is a lovely horse. Yeah. She's oh. just beautiful. If you guys are interested, her name is all come true and she is on horseadoption.com. You can go to new vocations website as well. Horseadoption.com find her. She's in Kentucky. All come true. And uh, she's available. She could be in your backyard. And by the way, if you have adopted any new vocation horses that we have highlighted, I want to give you a special personal shout out. And so I need you to email me at Jamie at horse radio network.com. I want to see your, because pretty much every time we highlight one, they're adopted in like five minutes. So yeah, I want to really use that kids. Yep. That's true. Awesome. Well, Leandra, thank you so much for being on. We love you. Mean it. And we'll talk to you next episode. Perfect. Talk to you later guys. You can find our show notes and links to today's guests on the website at retiredracehorseradio.com. You can also like us on Facebook, which is Joy and I both contribute to. Instagram, that's all Joy. Just search for Retired Racehorse Radio. Oh, I got to interrupt you, Jamie. What? It's a special broadcast in our contest that we've been running to get to 500 followers on Instagram. And we're real, we're really close, guys. Literally, we need 40 people, 40 people, and one of you can win. How do a we box of crap. 500 likes. This is for a contest, people. Hello. Like I know. So Instagram. each of you, share this podcast with your friends. Put it on your Instagram stories. Say something nice, and we'll put it on our Instagram stories. Give us a good review for crying out loud, too. Like, that's how. Oh, yeah. You guys made us a five star podcast on Apple. Oh. Yay. You guys are amazing. Just that's good. You can also follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio, which is literally neither one of us. So don't think we're going to tweet back at you. Um, You can follow me on my Facebook page, Flyover Farms. Just search Flyover Farm. Jamie Jennings should come up, but then if you have to add certified Monty Roberts instructor, that's also in there. Jamie at horseradionetwork.com is my email. Joy, how about you? Uh, you can email me at joy at horseradionetwork.com. Find me on Instagram at the foodie equestrian. If you like food, horses, oh wine, it's there. <laughs> all the things, all the things that all horse people love. And uh, thank you so much to our sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products and Cashel Company. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Remember to set your goals high and love to learn from every ride. And spay, neuter, and geld. Bye, guys. <laughs>